Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning, America. This is Gun Owners News Hour. Once again, there is a proposal from a legislative body, this one being raised in Connecticut, going after the law abiding gun owner. Representative Julian Gilchrist, or excuse me, Jillian Gilchrist, a West Hartford Democrat. Isn't that always the story? has co-sponsored a bill that would apply an excise tax on ammunition. The 3 to $0.05 cents per round tax would be dedicated to funding community gun violence and intervention program grants. <laughs> now, I believe in taking steps to mitigate crime. I absolutely do. However... I don't believe in taxing a gun owner to cover the cost of these programs simply because they've chosen to own guns. If a tax is going to be levied, everyone should absorb it because gun owners are no more committing such violence as everybody else. You know, they're required to take safety training courses in order to obtain a firearm. Gun owners hold enormous respect for the power of the pistol as well as the fragility of life when the two meet. And it is exceedingly discriminatory to lump all gun owners together, whereby both criminals and law-abiding gun owners are viewed as one and the same. Because we are not the same. We are not the same. I I am not predatory. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, it could be said... <laughs> it could be said that people uh, that train for self-defense are probably worse than the predators because um, in the event that we are forced to do something like that, we're probably going to be uh, pretty violent about it, but only for as long as it takes. And we should not be punished as criminals by making it even more difficult to purchase rounds of ammunition during inflationary times. And additionally, the guy shooting targets at the local range is not the same guy illegally crossing the border with a pound of fentanyl 
tucked between his cheeks and a few threaded barrels strapped to him. One is having a bit of fun and the other one is here to harm. Ironically, if we built the wall, closed the border, and funneled all the money that we were wasting by not doing so to gun violence programs, we'd have less need for gun violence programs because gun violence, as well as all violence, would drop. Law-abiding gun owners are not running around shooting people. And it seems to me that these programs are once again a means of catering to those who weaken our nation at the expense of those who would strengthen it. And good, hard-working people who happen to like guns for sport or protection must now reach into their pockets for woke programs that have already shown themselves to be totally ineffective. Violence isn't raging because of guns, but the people pulling the trigger, both criminals and those like Gilchrist who continue to pretend that they are doing something through programs like these, but they're really not. They're really not doing anything. And I think we're all just about done with the smoke and mirrors. We've been living in it for a very long time now. You, and, I, you know, I would ask the Democrats this, but I know the answer to it. But, I, I mean, it seems to me like it would be exhausting always trying to figure out how many ways the government can rob the American people. Because there is a big difference between truly helping and helping yourselves to my stuff. Now then, Isaac Hernandez, a 25-year-old American citizen who has been living in Mexico, is going to spend the next six years in a federal prison contemplating the error of his ways. On July 11, 2022, he was stopped while traveling southbound on I-35, heading towards the Laredo, Texas port of entry. Officials found 17 handguns in his car. Further investigation revealed that from January 21st, 2020 to July 11th, 2022, he had purchased 231 handguns, 9mm, 380s, and 22s, which officials suspect he smuggled into Mexico. Last week, U.S. District Judge Michaela Alvarez sentenced Hernandez to 80 months in prison for violating the Stop Illegal Trafficking in Firearms Act. And uh, what do we get? This from the U.S. Attorney Almadar, Al- Alamadar Alamdar S. Hamdani said in an ATF press release, hundreds of firearms likely ended up in the hands of Mexican cartel members thanks to Hernandez's firearms trafficking, only worsening the ongoing gun violence terrorizing the citizens of Mexico and the United States. He worked with a contact in Mexico who instructed him on the type and number of firearms to purchase. His actions exemplify why laws such as the Trafficking and Firearms Act is so important. Then, of course, the AFT had to uh, wade into this one. Their special agent in charge, Fred Milanowski, said, This was a textbook case of trafficking firearms to Mexico. Firearms trafficking is illegal and immoral. Unfortunately, the consequences of a firearm, a firearm illegally possessed in the United States and Mexico can cause danger and harm for decades. As demonstrated by this case, we will continue to investigate and prosecute gun traffickers who endanger the lives of law-abiding citizens in our communities. Illegal and immoral. Danger and harm for decades. And yet, you know, yeah, sure, the, the Mexican drug cartels certainly pose a clear and present danger. 
So arming them would be foolish and wrong. But the special agent in charge failed to mention that there was once a much larger firearms trafficking conspiracy that allowed thousands of guns to walk across the border and end up in the hands of the drug cartels, including 50 caliber sniper rifles. Semi-automatic ARs, AKs, and handguns of all types are much more serious threat than Hernandez's 9mm, 380s, and 22s. Operation Fast and Furious. That was a preposterous plan somehow conducted by the ATF's Arizona field office. It ran from 2006 to 2011, mostly in the Phoenix area. And according to a series of emails, the ATF officials purposely allowed licensed firearm dealers to sell weapons to illegal straw buyers, hoping to track the guns to Mexican drug cartel leaders and arrest them. But nobody's ever been arrested in the cartels for possessing a ATF gun. And of the thousands that they allowed to walk across the border, only 700 were ever recovered. And, of course, uh, a couple of those were found at the murder site of Border Agent, uh, border Patrol Agent Brian Terry. And others have shown up in crime scenes on both sides of the border. Hundreds of Mexican citizens have been wounded or killed by the AFT guns. And somehow none of this was mentioned in the recent press release. But Sack Milanowski is certainly not alone in his misremembering the misremembering the recent past. ATF has always had a selective memory. They devote only one page of their uh, to the agency's deadly Waco fiasco, and there is no mention of either Ruby Ridge or Randy Weaver. Last month, U.S. Congressman Matt Gates introduced the Abolish A- the ATF Act of 2023. And he's uh, talking about the pistol brace rule, which could turn more than 40 million of us into felons overnight as his main reason for the bill. But anybody with even a passing fancy or, or any any knowledge of the ATF knows why they got to go. We all know why they got to go. And as has been said many times before, no one makes a better case for abolishing the ATF than the ATF. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, 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 if I were the American public, I'd be really tired by now of the fact that the the politicians really think you have no memory at all, and if you have a memory, you don't care, and if you care, you're too stupid to understand what you're actually looking at. That that's the part that gets to me the most. Not very happy with it at all. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. News Hour. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg and the Open Society Foundation's George Soros, they may appear to have similar goals. They, and, and, and before anybody gets out there and says, Bill, you should just let them spend all their money. Uh, they don't spend the interest they make on their money. They're never going to run out of money because of gun control, right? And, and that's what is so interesting about this in in some aspects of this. But they have each spent massive amounts of their personal fortunes in pursuit of their political objectives through networks of shadowy cutouts and foundations and nonprofits. Both champions big government and abhor personal freedoms, especially gun rights, but it's their methods that separate their madness. Now, Bloomberg funds a half dozen AstroTurf anti-gun groups, which focus primarily on policy and legislative issues. If pro-gun legislation appears anywhere in the country, he will dispatch his red-shirted demanding moms to try to snuff it out. Their activism is overt, well-publicized by the legacy media, and somewhat episodic at this, at this time. There's a sense of immediacy to the Bloomberg effort. Soros is different. I could, uh, to, to the end where I sit and I look at Bloomberg, okay, so Bloomberg wants a gun-free America. But the basic premise, besides it being wrong, and besides it subverting the natural order of things, which is that man defends himself, um, is nothing like Soros. Soros, by comparison, seeks to influence society as a whole. He is a World Economic Forum type, although I'm sure Bloomberg goes to those too. He wants to control what people think by modifying their behavior. He's a woke globalist and not much interested in local issues. And while... Bloomberg seeks to control the media narrative. Soros wants to actually control the media. And if Bloomberg's efforts can be viewed as tactical, then Soros' are strategic. 
And at the age of 92, he's pumped enough men, money into his gun control empire to ensure it will continue long after he's gone. See, when he dies, it's not over. It's just he's not here no more. He was born Yorgi Swartz in pre-World War II Hungary. He was educated in England, emigrated to the United States, and opened his first hedge fund in 1969. A year later, he opened his second Soros Fund Management. Today, his personal wealth is estimated at nearly $26 billion, and he's donated more than $32 billion to his Open Society Foundations and other left-wing causes, which led Forbes magazine to call him the most generous giver. The Open Society Foundations, or OSF, consists of 20 smaller foundations, has branches in 37 countries, and operates in more than 120 countries. It is financially capable of continuing its founders' efforts into perpetuity. Soros' son, Alexander Soros, currently chairs OSF's board of directors. In 2000... OSF Center on Crime, Communities, and Culture and the Funders Collaborative for Gun Violence Prevention released Gun Control in the United States, which is one of the most radical gun control documents ever produced. And the researchers who prepared the document found differences, of course, between state gun laws. Obviously, states like California and New York have far stricter gun laws than Louisiana or Florida. But we get this. The most striking results of this survey are A, the lack of uniformity in firearm regulation across the country. B, the enormous differential between the top and bottom of the spectrum. And C, the poor scores achieved by most states. You see, 42 states fall below minimum standards for, for public safety since they lack basic gun laws such as licensing and registration. The lowest ranking states have almost no firearm regulation of their own. Instead, they rely entirely on the federal government's NICS background check at point of sale by licensed dealers. The researchers believe that all state gun laws should be the same, and they they called on the federal government to remedy this problem by forcing freer states to conform with the more restrictive ones. From the report, all states should move toward consistent regulatory frameworks based on licensing of firearm owners and registration of guns. States should implement basic anti-trafficking measures, in particular one-gun-a-month laws. They also call for bans on assault weapons, Saturday night specials, mandatory waiting periods, registration of all guns, permits to purchase firearms, and more. This report quickly became the template for all of the Soros gun control efforts. Now, in January, MRC Business, which is part of the Media Research Center, revealed that from 2016-2020, Soros gave more than $131 million to various media groups, such as some of which include NPR, ProPublica, Free Press, Project Syndicate, and the Pointer, Pointer Institute, a Tampa-based media think tank, which I should disclose spent at least some of the money on a hit piece about pro-gun writers. Soros understands something American conservatives have never fully grasped. Media outlets are essential to influencing a people, this, this is according to the MRC. The media influence that Soros brought was enough to insulate him from being seriously investigated by most journalists. And he certainly got what he paid for. ProPublica's archives are chock full of anti-gun stories, and NPR has even more. And through his OSF, he also offers two types of lucrative media fellowships. 
One designed for new reporters and the second for more experienced individuals with a proven record of achievement and expertise. The Beginner Fellowship offers a grant of 140 or excuse me $100,000. The second comes with a staggering $140,000. And in addition to the fellowships, OSF offers all expenses paid boot camps for young reporters. And while his sponsorship of these boot camps is somewhat hidden, his attempt to indoctrinate the young journalists is not. And none of the media outlets ever mentioned his generosity, and they never probed his finances or his multiple foundations. Nearly all of the coverage of Soros or his businesses has been glowing. And the legacy media has never once bitten the hand that feeds them. Last June, after a rampage killing in Philadelphia, District Attorney Larry Krasner blamed the NRA. Terrible crimes last night on South Street tell our Pennsylvania legislators it's time for real action. Boycott NRA lobbyists, boycott NRA donations, and bring real common sense gun regulation to Pennsylvania. Now. Of course, he never mentioned his failure to aggressively prosecute gang members, gun crimes, or repeat offenders who commit gun crimes that led to a record number of homicides in the city of brotherly love. We'll continue this on the other side because you see George Soros has been doing the gun control cloward and piven for a very long time and I've talked about this and I'm talking about this some more because this certainly needs to be paid attention to we'll be right back this is Gun Owners News Hour This is Gun Owners News Hour. When we left off, I was just getting into Larry Krasner. He is a George Soros-funded DA, Attorney General, whatever you want to call him. And, uh, well, Soros is, uh, some of the things that Soros is doing are leading to deaths. Leading to deaths. Especially when you got someone like Krasner. Or, you know, and he's not the first Soros funded prosecutor to do their benefactors bidding on in front of a TV camera. The list is very long. St. Louis Circuit, uh, Circuit Attorney Kimberly Gardner, who is under fire right now, another Soros backed prosecutor, was elected after promising to reform the criminal justice system, which was code for allowing crimes to go unpunished unless they involved a defensive gun use. So, she went gangbusters after Mark and Patricia McCluskey, who famously stood their ground while protesters invaded their gated community. She described their actions as a violent assault and filed felony weapon charges despite Missouri's castle doctrine, which says a homeowner has the absolute unmitigated right to protect his or her castle or family while on their property. You should never think that a leftist is ever going to look at something like that, especially when the way they look at the uh, Second Amendment. The unmitigated right 
the absolute unmitigated right. Where 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 do they where do they where do they go past that? They ultimately pled guilty to misdemeanors and both were pardoned by Governor Mike Parson. Gardner's relentless hounding of the couple forced even a few leftist commentators to question her motivations, but they're not get difficult to find. And her election was financed by a super PAC to which Soros donated $30,000. Maybe the most infamous Soros-backed DA, the L.A. County Prosecutor George Gascon, tried to strong-arm American Express, Visa, and MasterCard into prohibiting their customers from purchasing homemade firearm kits. He wrote, Our purpose in writing to you today is not to recruit you in a legal debate on the merits of these legal cases or the enforceability of these laws. There's a difference between what may or may not be technically legal and possible and what is most assuredly wrong. It is to your company's sense of right and wrong to which we now appeal. Which he's basically saying, we're, we're just going to work our way. We're, this is the end around on the law. <laughs> While Gascon was busy writing letters, L.A. slid f- further into the crime cesspool. If you get off of the strip and you go like down Skid Row or something, you're probably going to catch something that is like, you know, third world, you know? Gascon just recently barely survived a recall effort, which sought to replace him with a prosecutor who would actually enforce the law. One thing that all of these guys have, the Braggs and the and the Gascones and the Chase of Odines and all these other guys, they get in there and they say, well, you know, this is not right. They look at the law, which they throw their hand up in the air and say, well, I'm going to uphold the law. And then they look at the law and say, except this and this and this and this. In a column published last year by the Wall Street Journal, Soros wrote that he funds progressive prosecutors because they promote safety and justice and are popular and effective. But it can be argued that Soros-funded prosecutors have allowed crime to surge in their jurisdictions which creates the very same gun violence the Soros-funded media love to cover, and the Soros-funded gun control groups can then exploit and use in their messaging. It's like a very well-coordinated plan. And whether this three-pronged cycle is purposeful or coincidental is probably open to debate, but Soros certainly controls members of all three groups. It's a type of vertical integration never seen before. And for the people that fall in these jurisdictions, it is a it has deadly consequences. His woke progressivism, progressive socialism leaves blood and bodies in its wake. Normally, this would draw the attention of prosecutors and or the media, but in this case, most are paid participants and as fellow woke progressive socialists, it fits the narrative. Now, compared to George Soros, the Bloomberg and demanding moms and all this other stuff, they're nothing more than an irritant. Definitely misguided, definitely after your rights, definitely uh, definitely anti-freedom, but they're not out there, as far as I can tell, causing death. They're not out there. All of them exploit death. Never kid yourself about that. Uh, and, uh, and, and Bloomberg is as good as anybody at it, but... Um, Soros and his work prosecutors and the lapdog media he's bought and paid for, combined with the anti-gun groups he's endowed for decades, pose the more significant threat to the civil rights. 
And that's not going to end anytime soon. I refer to this as the, uh, some people call this the chaos theory. Some people call this, uh, I call it the cloud and piven of gun control. Cloud and Piven were two professors who came up with this idea that they could bankrupt society and out of the ashes that arose after the collapse, socialism would be sought. So, you know, that was a theory, but then they went out and they proved it because they went into New York City and they got everybody that technically qualified for welfare to apply for and receive welfare. And I think it's like in a year or two years, they bankrupted New York. Now, New York is a pretty big, it, it, it's it's a big population, but it's a very concentrated population. You know, it's, it's, a, it's what is it, eight, nine million people in a very small space. That's why you have when when you have such small amounts of land, it becomes vertical. It, that's where the skyscrapers come from and everything else. Very easy to actually go in there and find these people. Now they couldn't ever do it in what they refer to as flyover country. They they could never go into the Midwest and do it because it's just too spread out. There's just not enough people to go out and recruit people to make that assault on services provided by the state, the city, the municipality. But the theory is sound. You can overburden the system to the point where it crashes, no doubt about it. Now, recently, when they did, uh, when they did the, the, the bailout over COVID, when, when Biden came in, all of these uh, states that had big red ink all over their books they got money to offset their insolvency. And now they're free to run and everything else. And all of those states that had this happen, uh, they're already as socialist as they can get. You know, New York, California, all these other things. So um, the cloud and pivot idea here is the way I see it applying to gun control is that they create so much chaos and they create so much crime and so much fear that you run to government and say, please, please save us. Which, I don't care how many of our rights you have to take from us. Just save us. Just keep us safe. I need to feel safe. That's a tough sell in, in, in the United States. But, I mean, uh, that's that's what they think. And I'll tell you what. They did an exercise, and they found out how to strike fear with COVID. Everybody was afraid of COVID. Nobody, even even I was afraid of COVID because nobody knew what it was. Of course, now we know what it is. And I feel sort of sheepish admitting to you that I was afraid of it. But I also had my misgivings about what they were telling us because it was them that were telling us. And there's nothing like working in military intelligence to figure out how le- how much the government actually levels with you. So um, <laughs> that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. So I, I, I'm I'm almost certain that still is the template today. But we got to pay attention to this guy. We need to get his influence out of the United States. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. 
This is Gun Owners News Hour. One last time, shall we? In my home state here in South Carolina, we uh, just had uh, constitutional carry <laughs> pass the House, and now it's going to head to the Senate, and I'm waiting to see what happens with that. I am waiting to see what happens with that. But right now, we're we're still in the uh, we're still in the early stages of this here in South Carolina because our Senate has sort of a reputation. Uh, but every anti-gun uh, group in the country has descended upon Tallahassee to stop Florida from becoming the 26th state to allow residents and visitors to carry concealed firearms without a permission to slip from the government. And understand this. This is the one thing I'm going to tell you. And I'm not advocating anybody do this, okay? This would be the government of Florida affirming what they already know because crime exists in Florida and that that they can't possibly catch everybody that carries a concealed gun that hasn't gotten a permit yet. And there's plenty of them that do. Some of them are good. A lot of them are bad. But it doesn't matter because concealed means concealed. And there's so many means to carry a gun now that is secure. And they've cut back on the cops. And where they haven't cut back on the cops, the cops are out there going, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm going to think twice before I do this. So, and this is all as a consequence of the gun ban industry. Defunding the police, Soros DAs, all this other stuff. So, um, once DeSantis signs the bill, and he will, a majority of the states will allow unlicensed or permitless carry. For pro-gun advocates, this is a significant victory in the war to restore the Second Amendment right, and the other team will do anything they can to prevent that from happening. We're already at half. Where were they when number 25 was happening? That was that was consequential, but that's, that's beside the point. And it's important to point out that neither Florida's HB 543 nor its companion bill SB 150 are traditional constitutional carry bills, because they will not legalize the open carry of arms. Now, here in South Carolina, uh, you can carry in the open if you have a concealed carry permit. <laughs> I, I don't understand the. Uh, I don't understand the. Uh, uh, the correlation there, but we can carry in the open here. I don't. I might start, though, but I don't. True constitutional carry allows gun owners to decide for themselves whether to carry guns openly and or concealed. But I don't even think, but the constitutional part of this, uh, I could refer to this as permitless carry, right? Now, despite Republican supermajorities in both the House and Senate and a governor who's promised to sign it, open carry is not included in either bill. And in Florida, they have not been told why, or at least not officially. Now, they have tried to head off a bunch of the arguments that will take place in the debates by uh, doing something called smart bundling, or at least that's what they're calling it. SB 150 includes numerous school safety provisions, such as expanding the school guardian program adding funds for hardening schools, providing additional money for gun-sniffing dogs, clarifying zero-tolerance policies, and ensuring every law enforcement agency has an active shooter policy. So vote against the bill can be seen as a vote against school safety. 
which in a way that is smart. But you got to remember, we haven't done anything as a as a country since Columbine. So while Florida's trying to do the right thing, we should all be Florida should be last in this. This all should have been done a long time ago. And regardless of what the bill is called or, or the offerings, the very thought of restoring more gun rights, especially in Florida, has brought the gun banners out in droves. Florida, despite it being the first of the gun permit states to come out and actually make that a popular thing, um, with no exclusion at all for open carry, um, they've been sort of looked at as an outlier because what is it? I think that 42 states have some sort of provision for open carry. Maybe it's more than that. I don't know. So Florida being the first is, is it, it, this has always been sort of a puzzling thing. But down in Florida right now, they've got members of every town and the demanding moms and the demanding students and Giffords and Brady and Florida's extremely anti-gun League of Women Voters. They all shuffle to the mic. Their testimony before the House and Senate committees has been interesting, desperate, and at times sort of funny. <laughs> and if the gun banners sent their A team to Tallahassee and that's the best they could do, freedom will most certainly prevail. Now, they are very well organized, and what they do is very orchestrated, and uh, to keep too many of their objections seemingly come from the same playbook. And keep in mind that anti-gunners have phones and Skype and Zoom, too. They're sharing information and ideas, and Florida is the latest battle template. They're throwing a lot of stuff against the wall, and that which sticks likely will be used in the next state that they are the attempt to victimize. Here's some of the lowlights of their testimony. Now, unless the gun owner has something called a DD-214, which is a uh, statement of service in the military, they must provide proof of training before qualifying for a Florida concealed weapon or firearm license. One of the byproducts of HB 543 and SB 150 is an end to this training requirement because a CWFL will no longer be needed to carry a concealed firearm. And, of course, this is now referred to as untrained carry, even though nothing could be further than the truth. Their tactic was unwittingly bolstered by Pinellas County Sheriff Bob Galtieri, who serves as the legislative chair of the powerful Florida Sheriff's Association. He testified about how poor some of his mandatory training has become. He described several firearm instructors who only required students to shoot one round into a water barrel before issuing them the certificate to get a concealed carry permit. And that set off a firestorm among the anti-gunners. <laughs> And most of the people that I know that get the permit actually seek out some training, real training. Then there's the no one wants the bill people that are out there saying that no one's there for the bill today, one demanding mom. Uh, it should be noted that the NRA, the GOA, the NAGR in Florida Carry Incorporated involves support for the legislation. But it's still the most significant restoration of gun rights in Florida since 1987. And that was ignored. Uh, the Democrats wanted uh, gun owners to obtain $100,000 worth of insurance that nobody writes if they opt out of the CWFL program and carry concealed. They wanted them to be prohibited from possessing homemade firearms. They wanted them to be prohibited from carrying at a grocery store, a gas station, a music venue, or other any religious institution. They wanted to be prohibited from open carrying at concert venues and polling places, which is already prohibited. They wanted to be prohibited from carrying firearms in cars. <laughs> 
The only thing in here that's not in here is they wanted to be prohibited on uh, from carrying a gun on every day that ends with a Y. There were a lot of false equivalencies, a lot of false statements. Uh, like, you need a license to drive a car, so you should also need a license to carry a gun. To be clear, driving is a privilege. Owning a gun is a right. Therefore, you don't need a license to exercise a right. The unlicensed concealed carry bill, they are rocketing. It, it has rocketed through their state legislature. And since the Republicans have the supermajorities in both houses, no roadblocks are foreseen. On March the 7th, they will reconvene in the legislative session. And Governor DeSantis will likely sign this legislation into law far sooner than its July the 1st effective date. Here in South Carolina, like I said, it has passed the House. And I mean, um, if Florida were to pass it, I would anticipate that we would too simply because South Carolina doesn't lead by example ever. South Carolina is very much a follower. And uh, the, the interesting thing that I find about this is with 25 states that have it, and with 40-some-odd states that have open carry, the still fight that you have in these legislators or with the legislators in the legislatures where they get out there and they make these questions about, well, you know, open carry and concealed carry and untrained carry and all this other nonsense. In South Carolina, you have to fire 50 rounds to qualify. And uh, that's just that's just getting the lube warmed up on a gun if you, I mean... Going to a, a Jaeger class when, 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 uh, you know, tactical response class or any, any train class with a handgun, you're looking at a minimum of a thousand rounds. Maybe between 750 and a thousand rounds in a day. In a day. Because of all of the iterations. That's all right. It got, got out of control there. I'll be back next weekend. Stay awake, stay aware. This has been Gun Owners News Hour. Thank you.